Hello! Welcome back to the Comics Course. We are an offering of Miskatonic University's remote education program, offering literature 209, graphical literature, and history and society. As a podcast, all of our social media stuff you can find in the show notes, but I am here with my ever-victimized T.A. Rowan, and I am your ever-victimized Professor Hamby. You said uh, just before we started recording that you're always the victim. I am. Why are you the victim? I just am. Oh, I see how. <laughs> well, you're not the victim today because our topic is one that you specifically requested. Mm-hmm. What is it? Uh, intelligence as a trait of superheroes. That's right. Now, I know some people roll their eyes when we talk about superheroes, but I'm always amused when, you know, my literary colleagues go, today we are going to talk about A Midsummer Night's Dream, and it is serious literature. It has a donkey-headed guy, fart jokes, and more sex jokes than I can count. Yeah, serious um, literature. It, it, it is great literature. It was also made to entertain people with sex and fart jokes. Uh, today we're going to study... The Greek gods. Yeah, I call them the Justice League. Um, it, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying people shouldn't like Shakespeare in mythology. It's just saying that comic books are trash and those things are great culture is kind of ridiculous. And if you make the argument that it's because of social impact, I hate to break it to you, but comic books, even superhero comics have had a pretty big cultural impact. Does that mean they're art? No. But sometimes things that are just pure entertainment, even without a lot of artistic virtue, become important because of their role in society over time. And I think that's true of superheroes. So I think it is interesting to talk about traits of superheroes. Now, intellect is an interesting one. I really think it is. Let's... Because... When we talk about mythology and history, how much do we see intellect as a heroic trait? I would argue not a lot. Now, you can take contemporary superheroes and replace legendary ones with them. I I promise you, I could take the story of Beowulf and Grendel and replace it with Batman and Killer Croc really easily. Super easily. In fact, I'll be shocked if somebody hasn't already done it. Um, so, l- l- let's talk a little bit about these sort of classic types of heroes. You have the everyman hero, who's basically kind of sort of Bilbo, but very much Frodo or Samwise, especially Samwise from Lord of the Rings. They are the people who are heroes in many ways because of their down-to-earthness. Mm-hmm. You know, Samwise and Frodo resist the ring, at least in, in Frodo's case until the very, very end, by being down-to-earth good people. That is their heroic trait. But it allows them to resist an evil that the great powers like Gandalf would not be able to resist. Even Galadriel says that it would be incredibly dangerous to give her the Ring of Power. So that's the everyman hero. 
There is the classical hero. The classical hero is got some sort of amazing abilities. I mean, think Achilles from Greek mythology or Odysseus. But also Luke Skywalker, Batman. They kick ass. They're really good at what they do. They're sort of a classical hero. And then, of course, there's the epic hero. You know, Zeus says, this isn't right. And he comes down and throws lightning bolts. Thor says, those are bad guys. And throws lightning bolts. <laughs> Superman shows up. Mm, grabs a power plant and throws lightning bolts. No, he, he just goes and punches them. But if it's Captain Marvel, he summons lightning bolts. <laughs> and those are the epic heroes. They're gods. And that's what superheroes are. Then, of course, there's like the tragic hero. We don't see as much of that in mainstream comics, but certainly in a lot of graphic lit, we still do. And the tragic hero is somebody whose heroic nature leads to their downfall, usually in a really horrible way. Some people say Batman is a tragic hero. He's not. He has tragedy in his background. And there have certainly been individual stories done where he has a tragic downfall, but those are usually not the the iconic Batman stories people think about when they talk about Batman. And a tragic hero isn't somebody who's just had something horrible in their background, something tragic, but somebody who has a specific downfall because of their heroic nature. Then there's the antihero. Antiheroes have been very popular in superhero comics. The Punisher is one of the classic ones. Uh... His name is Frank Castle. He was a cop. His family is killed in Central Park because of basically a gunfight between these two gangs. And unsatisfied with the system, letting these people walk, he becomes a vigilante named the Punisher who goes out and actively kills. There have been others, uh, Wolverine, Lobo, with varying degrees of morality and attitude. And then, of course, there's the Byronic hero, who are prickly and sullen and often rude and unpleasant, but have this sort of inner soul that, if you can reach, is beautiful and wise and kind and benevolent. And sometimes the Batman is portrayed as a Byronic hero, mm -hmm. for example. The classic one in literature is probably Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. Um, but, you know, I, I'm in the camp of the best version of Pride and Prejudice is Pride and Prejudice with Zombies, the movie. Um, so, you know, that's my belief. But look at all these figures we've talked about. We talked about Batman and Superman and Luke Skywalker and, and Bilbo and Greek gods their abilities involve invulnerability and strength and flying and lightning and then more lightning and yet some more lightning and starting as a trend but we've not what we've not talked about for any of these is intelligence or wisdom they just aren't classically traits of a hero i mean look at beowulf i mean i i, I racked my brain about beowulf and went out and even googled some other uh sources because I've only read Beowulf in translation. And I thought maybe I missed something in my readings. But everything I found put together this list for Beowulf's traits. Physical strength, certainly. Extraordinary courage, really useful if you're going to go fight monsters. 
a willingness to fight. Really important if you're going to fight <laughs> monsters. Um, a desire to prove himself. A lot of classic heroes have to prove themselves in some ways. That gets into the whole, you know, hero's journey from Campbell and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lo- being loyal. Loyal to family, friends, king. I mean, whatever they have to be loyal to. You know, this... this and, and that speaks to a sort of purity of spirit. That they're courteous, polite. Again, this is not universal, especially for the Greeks. But classically, heroes are kind of good people to other people, right? And then, he, here's one that varies, but is important. Wisdom to be a leader. Now, my phrasing is very particular here. Because there are many classic heroes that have a sort of nobility and wisdom of nobility to them, but they're not necessarily bright. You know, they have this capability of leading people and being a leader and maybe even running a government, but they probably still shouldn't be trusted to balance a checkbook. (laughs) Presumably, they have other people to do that when they're king. You would help. Yeah, you would hope. And I would argue that there are a few types, trait types, that uh, uh, we can group all of these things into. One is a a hero archetype I call the champion. The champion embodies strength, courage, and willingness to fight. That, That is essentially the core of Beowulf, Perseus, uh, Thor, uh, many other heroic godlike figures, as well as most Arthurian knights, for example. The classic cowboy is embodied by the champion, or even the private detective in many cases. The, the, it is probably the single most common heroic archetype, the champion. Now, the next up is the noble. Some characters are both champions and noble. The nobles are loyal, they have the wisdom, and they have a sort of courtesy. Aragorn, from Lord of the Rings, is an example of a character who's both a champion and a noble. Now, the noble doesn't have to mean that, like Aragorn, you're descended from kings and ready to take the throne. There are different kinds of nobles. Uh, There is, for example, classically the savage noble. You know, the, oh, they're not exposed... Well, let me back up a little bit. This especially was a prominent archetype in early American literature when uh, Aboriginal Americans, uh, you know, First Nation kind of people, were put into literature in heroic roles. And, of course, the European prejudice was, oh, they're just a bunch of savages who don't know who God is and that kind of thing. And so when they were given noble traits, they couldn't just be noble, they had to be Noble savages. So, how does this work for everybody in classical literature? And don't worry, I am going to bring this back around to intellect. Well, let's look at one of my favorite comparisons. Thor versus Loki. Mm -hmm. Where does Thor fit in this? He's a champion. Mm -hmm. He's strong. He's courageous, not only willing to fight, but frankly wants to. It's his mm-hmm. favorite hobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I 
hear that he made good scrimshaw carvings too, but you know, he liked beating up uh, uh, giants with his hammer even more. Yeah, just a little bit more. What now? What about Loki though? Was Loki a figure of intellect? No, he was more trickster than intellect. I would agree with that, and I would agree the trickster archetype is different. There's a sort of cunning to the trickster, but that's not necessarily intelligence. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we see throughout Norse mythology, Loki doing some pretty damn dumb things. Mm -hmm. Like, did you really think you were going to get away with this? Um, Which does not show to great intelligence. No, or wisdom, certainly. And... Odin, Odin's kind of a complicated figure because he is the one who learns the runes from Mimir's well and all that, and uh, uh, this sort of magic that's associated with intelligence. But I think in some ways that is a modern interpretation looking backwards that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And we've done this with other things. Uh, for example, if I, 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 I can speak to Arthurian mythology because... I've spent quite a bit of time reading not just about current Arthurian mythology, but how people historically interpreted it. And if we look at, for example, the figure of Merlin. So Merlin was a wizard. What do we think of when we think of wizards today? Intelligence. But they didn't in the Middle Ages. They, When they talked about Merlin in the Middle Ages and they speculated as to his origin, they talked about him being the son of Satan about demonic parentage, about when he was born, he was covered in a pelt and crawled the walls like an animal, and that his magic came from these demonic connections, as all witches and wizards did. Damn. I mean, so to them, magic was an evil thing, and it came from evil connections. Today, we have put this concept of intelligence connected with it. In some ways, we can probably blame Tolkien for this, actually. Um, Tolkien, you know, represented Gandalf as very intelligent and wise. We find out that even uh, uh, the steward of Gondor, as a mortal, has learned some sort of powerful magic and is very intelligent and scholarly. When D&D came into existence, Dungeons & Dragons, the wizard class is represented primarily by an intellectual trait because a magic in it is a sort of science Mm -hmm. that is deciphered through intellect. And so I think there is a modern bias towards viewing a sort of wizardly magic as a byproduct of intelligence, but historically that was not the case. Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful to not use a modern viewpoint to interpret things that were meant very differently historically. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the Greeks. I mean, the Greeks had a concept of arete, you know, excellence. But when the Argonauts got lost, they got lost. They did not outwit Poseidon. I mean, their virtues were just blind, stupid endurance. <laughs> just, we're going to keep going no matter what. Mm-hmm. Right? We're going to hit the wall till it breaks. Right. Even even the gods that supposedly were highly intelligent, like Athena and Apollo, can you think of any legends that show off, that have them showing off their intelligence in a heroic way? No. No. I mean, nor Thoth from Egyptian uh, mythology, nor frankly Odin. He has his magic, but 
well, we don't have we have stories where Odin is in disguise and tricks people. We have stories where Odin creates problems. We don't have much in the way of where Odin just plain out thinks people. Although I do think there are actually a couple. If anything, the giants are usually out thinking people. Uh-huh. You know, like, hey, Thor, take a drink from this horn. We're not going to tell you it's connected to the whole freaking ocean. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thor's heroic trait in that tale is being such an alcoholic that he can drink an ocean of mead. Um, although, to be fair, a functioning alcoholic. Because he does still defend Asgard. <laughs> you found that funny, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that was going to be the moral of the story. <laughs> Look, they were Norse. That's how it went. Um, so, at this point, we've talked about that if you look historically at, at literature, mythology, you're not going to find intelligence as a highly valued trait. So, when did that start changing? Well, I think it actually started changing with someone who wasn't a hero, and that is the the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, this Ooh. is a classic story of alchemy and witchcraft mm-hmm. that's sort of recast in science. So instead of Dr. Jekyll being some sort of weird uh, alchemist, he's a chemist. It's really just a flip in terms, because there's no real science in the story. And that's an ongoing trend we see all the way up to right now today, where it is very common, both in literature and as well as movies, TV, whatever, to see things that are basically weird shit happens. Why? Science. Um, how did that space fleet get at Earth? Uh, they came through the wormhole, sir. This really is no... F- functionally different from you know uh, uh, an Arthurian tale how did that weird fleet get here they had a wizard who could summon a thousand league strides sir it's it's the same thing Mm -hmm. and as we go forward by 1887 we have for the Christmas issue of the Strand a successful but not super famous writer named uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, who's a physician, published a story called A Study in Scarlet. The first featuring Sherlock Holmes. Uh, And then followed up later, of course, with A Scandal in Bohemia, um, The Sign of Four, The Hound of the Baskervilles, and on and on and on. Uh, Eventually, quite a bit of different works. But Sherlock Holmes was our first intellectual hero. And in some ways, he was extreme. He wasn't just clever. He was brilliant. He saw things other people couldn't see. But not because they didn't have the visual impression of him, but because they couldn't deduce. Famously, Sherlock Holmes, by the way, was based on a real person. Oh, really? Yes. One of Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, professors in medical school. Who actually did a lot of the stuff that Holmes was credited with. Now, not the solving of crimes, but he would actually like take groups of students and look at them and say things like, oh, You have recently returned from Bohemia. You are left-handed. 
and you know blah 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 and he wow. and would do those things and and then and uh, apparently uh Doyle actually took scenes of actual deductions that the teacher made and used them at times in his stories of Sherlock Holmes. That's amazing. Right. Now, Holmes was not a pure character of intellect. He had energy. He got out. He, he did the cases. But the intellect was a huge part of it. When he was bored, he would become listless and lang- languid at the same time, using cocaine to, you know, relieve his boredom. Uh, he was also a boxer. He was almost superhumanly strong. He was known to take, like, steel pokers for the fireplace and bend them into knots. So he had, you know, some of these physicality traits. And from there on, we start seeing intellect become common. Now, is this all because of Sherlock Holmes? I do think Sherlock Holmes was very influential. But no, I don't, I think it was still a symptom, not a cause. I think if you want to look at why intellect started becoming a superhero trait, you don't have to look any further than the fact that this was the industrial age. For the first time in history, science wasn't just useful in isolated cases, but we had accumulated so much that now engineers were changing the world. I mean, all you had to do was look over London to see all the smokestacks A single man who knew how to fix the machines in the industrial quarter of London meant more than hundreds of unskilled laborers. And people were beginning to leave the farms to come into the cities. Science and engineering were starting to change the world. And as we moved into the 20th century, it just became more and more and more so. And by the 1920s and 30s, as we reached the age of pulp and then comic books, we are entering the pre-atomic age. And there was a huge optimism. People were starting to have radio and listen to things remotely. That was mind-blowing. And scientists were talking about flying cars and almost as soon as we had normal cars. Planes had been invented. People could fly. The world was becoming smaller and more amazing all the time. And people really thought science would create a utopia by the end of the 20th century and that all of mankind's problems would go away. And you saw this in the fiction. Mm -hmm. They saw science as something to make the world inherently better. They actually didn't have a filter of thinking of science as dangerous until the atomic bomb. After the atomic bomb, things changed, of course. We ended up with Lots of monster, irradiated monster movies, the most famous of which, of course, was Gojira, uh, known in the U.S. as Godzilla. Um, I don't know why we couldn't have just kept the Japanese name Gojira, but then again, we don't... Even call Japan by its correct name. Which is Nippon. Right. So... So why would we call their fiction by the thing? Fair enough. (laughs) I'm going to put them in that good category. There go a couple more freshmen, guys. Um, at least the hounds won't be hungry. Oh, my God. Is that why they brought that smell in here? Was that freshman? Oh, God. Oh. They found a hipster. Oh, God. They probably found a hipster. I thought it smelled like CBD edibles. Ew. <laughs> okay. Are you telling me not to hit the mic? 
I didn't hit the mic. I hit the pop filter. Yes. It's a technicality, which is <laughs> the best kind of correct. It's technically correct. True. Um, as we go forward, we see this trend continuing. 1905, the Scarlet Pimpernel. He's clever and not just a trickster way, but smart and outsmarts the French who want to keep him from saving the aristocrats. By the way, if you want to look for a direct literary uh, uh, precedent for Batman, it's the Scarlet Pimpernel. The Scarlet Pimpernel is Batman, basically. Mm. Just with a little more daring do. Uh, but people like to point out things like Zorro. I actually think the Scarlet Pimpernel is a better example. And we will be coming back to talk about Batman more in a second. Now, you get into the 1930s, and things have changed. I mean, you have things like the pulp character, uh, Doc Savage, the Man of Bronze. He's good at tons of things, including being a brilliant scientist. You have Nero Wolf books. Uh, Ferdinand was published in 1934 by Rex Stout. And Nero Wolf was an iteration of Sherlock Holmes. In fact, piece of trivia... Rex Stout was a huge Sherlock Holmes fan, and in his head canon, he couldn't do this in the books because of copyright, but he has said that his personal head canon is that Rex Stout is the son of Sherlock Holmes and Irene Adler. Oh, dang. Right. And even wrote details for his origins to make it feasible. Oh. Now, Nero Wolf is very much... Uh, uh, kind of stolen from Sherlock Holmes. Uh, in the Sherlock Holmes stories, we do eventually meet his older brother, Mycroft, who is even smarter than Sherlock, but doesn't have Sherlock's energy. He says that Sherlock wastes the energy needed for his intellect by going out and doing stuff. Mycroft just figures things out by just sitting around and just thinking about them. Which doesn't make for great stories. So, of course, Nero Wolf basically took Mycroft, made him to Nero Wolf, and then created Archie Goodwin as the character that runs out and brings stuff back to Wolf for his consideration. So he kind of splits Sherlock Holmes into two parts, Nero mm -hmm. Wolf and Archie Goodwin. But you have that high intellect, and you're seeing it in heroes, and you're seeing it in villains. Now, instead of evil wizards and witch doctors, you have mad scientists. Now, they're doing the same sort of thing. Instead of a ritual to enslave the minds of all the women in the city. Now you have the mad scientist creating the perfume that will make all the women his slaves. <laughs> of course, they always fail because somebody stops them. Um, and now you have to read manga for that kind of harem fiction. <laughs> well, it's true. Am I saying a lie? No, that's why I'm cringing. Okay, fair enough. So th this is... The change in, uh, you know, education was a part of this. If we go back to the 19th century, public education was extremely uneven. Here in the United States, post-Civil War, high schools were being built. There really weren't elementary schools, but a few high schools. But as we moved on and on towards the 20s and 30s, laws were sending kids to schools. Not Miskatonic <laughs> for that one, though. <laughs> That one sounded rough. I think that was a psych major. The psych majors always scream the loudest. Yeah. Um, I think it's because of their coursework. 
I, I think so. I, I think I think they have some classes where they do like primal scream therapy, and that helps them build up that sort of lung capacity. Yeah. It's um, kind of impressive. It is. They could be music majors. Yeah. yeah. If unless they want to be paid. <laughs> I just from their screams, I can't tell that. Maybe you're better at it. I don't know. Um. So th- this was the modern age. We now had good guys and bad guys using intellect. So I call it a heroic trait, but I call it heroic sort of in the Greek concept of heroism, a rete, a quality of excellence, something that can make you powerful, essentially. And intellect became that. And we continue to see that as time goes forward, as we start seeing things like pulp adventurers described to as described as things like polymaths. Look at Superman. Okay, so Superman's introduced in 1939. We're told that he is jettoned off in his uh, rocket ship to Earth, where he is now the man of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What else are we told? Not a damn thing. <laughs> he jumps right into the action, beating up communists, saving women, and being a bit of an asshole, actually. Yeah. Um, at least in the first story. But... As they build up his background, what do they do? Two interesting things, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. One, they make an effort to make him an everyman. They make him raised in Kansas by farmers, getting those everyman values, which is a very valued 20th century thing uh, and ironic for a character that can literally beat up gods. Yeah. But it nonetheless is an important part of his character. Mm-hmm. That he continues to see himself as an everyman, no matter how powerful he is. But also, his father is a scientist. Dun, dun, dun. Instead, now, if you had put this story 50 years earlier, his father would have been the king of Krypton, the emperor of space, something like that. That noble heritage is what would have mattered. Nobody ever talked about if Arthur was intelligent. They talked about how he came from a line of kings. Mm -hmm. This was very much that mindset. But here we are in the industrial age, or just pre-industrial age, and instead of his father being made a king when they invent Jor-El, they make him a scientist, an important scientist that people should listen to, and not listening to science led to the destruction of Krypton. I hit the pop filter, so it doesn't count. Except the connector for the pop filter is brushing up against the mic, so Shush. it vibrated down to the mic. Shush. I'm technically correct, the best kind of correct. <laughs> um, Batman. This is why I'm the victim. We'll go with that, sure. Batman, very competent. Uh, but over time, one of his defining traits comes to be, and one of the nicknames for him is the world's greatest detective. And how many times in comics does Batman save the day by coming up with, you know, a counter toxin by hacking computers? I mean, he's a master of like every science Uh as well as every martial art. Man's got too much free time. Even Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Now, Wonder Woman, even in her original representations, 
one of the defining traits that was written about her was that she was better with the purple healing ray technology than anyone else and better at using it. <laughs> Again, a trait of intellect that she could use this technology in a way, not magic. <laughs> so, I mean, here we are with three of the great iconic DC characters, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and we see how that move towards technology and intellect as heroic traits touched on all of them either directly for their own personal traits or to validate their lineage. And it's not just DC. I mean, look at Marvel. Tony Stark, Iron Man. He's an alcoholic idiot in a lot of ways, but a brilliant engineer and built a big ass suit and therefore can be a superhero. Mm -hmm. Um, Peter Parker. Now, it's not touched on heavily in the movies, although they did touch on it a fair bit in the uh, third Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, where they had the different Spider-Man show up with different scientific expertises. But from the very beginning, back in his own series in the 1960s, Peter Parker's intellect was stressed. That's He was a science nerd. That's why he was there to get bitten by a radioactive spider. One of the first villains he faces, the Vulture, is an old man with technology who kicks his ass, and Spider-Man doesn't beat him by kicking his ass in return, but building a device that neutralizes the technology the Vulture is using. Uh, Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four, we can go on and on and on. But this idea of intellect changes things. And I would argue there are three great archetypes for this one, the mastermind. Now, the mastermind is pretty simple. They are the master of strategy. They are the master of looking forward in time and figuring out what's going to happen and setting contingencies in place. The two classic ones for these being Christopher Priest, Black Panther, mm-hmm. who we talked about extensively on the podcast, uh, who just seemed to know everything that was going to happen. Although, depending on your beliefs about Christopher Priest's sneaky storytelling, telepathy may have helped him out there. But still, there were things that telepathy alone could not account for. And then Batman. Now, Batman's an interesting one. Um, Grant Morrison, when he wrote the Magnificent Seven version of the JLA, and if you don't know Grant Morrison's writing, he loves comics, and he loves what makes comics work and what's interesting about them. And he said something that was very important for understanding Batman and something like the Justice League. Now, the Justice League is filled with characters like a Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, the Flash, Superman. I mean, characters that can run through time barriers and have, you know, science fiction rings that can do things on cosmic scales. So what can Batman do? How do you make Batman work in the Justice League and still translate to the streets of Gotham and make sense in both? Well, the answer is, is that Batman is the brains. Mm -hmm. He's the man with the plan. He's the one that figures out what's going to happen. In fact, there's, in Grant Morrison's introductory storyline, he wanted to stress this idea, and he introduced these antagonists who seem to have all the Justice League's abilities and make the Justice League unpopular with the world and this kind of stuff. And they eventually kind of show their cards and beat up and imprison the Justice League. Except Batman. Mm -hmm. 
Now, what does this whole team of gods think of Batman? Well, they don't care. They're like, he's just a normal guy. What can he do? And he ends up defeating all of them with a box of matches. Mm -hmm. And that's all he needs. Why? Because he figured everything out. And he chose just the right moment to strike. That's the mastermind. Their power is pure planning intellect and anticipation. The next archetype is the inventor. The inventor is the engineer. This is the Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic. Yes, he may have the power to bend his body around, but what he really brings to the comics is building all these gadgets that do stuff. Oh, the aliens from the negative zone are invading. I'll build a ray to reverse the polarity of their, you know, warp drive so that they zap plast Earth into another dimension. That kind of stuff. Obviously, there are plenty of others. We mentioned Tony Stark Iron Man already. Uh, again, going back to heroic here in the Greek sense, not actual heroes, Lex Luthor, the mortal antagonist of the godlike Superman, is always building gadgets to fight Superman. He's a mad, originally was very much a mad scientist archetype, although that changed by the 1980s pretty heavily, uh, and was eventually introduced in his own sort of Iron Man-like suit. Then the third archetype, I would argue, is the detective. Now, there have been a bunch of these. You know, there was Jessica Jones from Marvel who had her own Netflix series, The Question at DC. However, I would argue those are a different kind of detective because there are kind of two detective archetypes in uh, popular fiction, one connected more to pulp novels and movies and one more to comics. Uh, but there are some instances of the pulp version in comics. If you look at Dashiell Hammett's detectives, for example, which are probably the archetypal pulp detectives, yeah, they do figure some things out. They're not stupid. But honestly, they kind of solve crimes more through kicking over anthills and seeing what crawls out uh, and then following one thing to the next than through brilliant deduction and analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the traits actually come from the cowboy age of the Old West and have more to do with an inner set of values and uh, uh, that guide them and endurance than anything else. And just de enduring all the problems they have to to get to the truth, because the truth matters to them. And there are certainly comic book versions of that. Jessica Jones and The Question, who I just mentioned. However... The detective as an intellect archetype is more like the mastermind, except instead of making plans and looking to the future, they look at the present and figure out the past. And the Batman, who's often called the world's greatest detective, is certainly one of those. Uh, to this day, Sherlock Holmes comics are still popular. Mm -hmm. So he certainly counts as one. It's probably the least common, though. If I had to say the most common intellect archetype is the inventor, because making gadgets is easy. And they are essentially the modern version of the alchemist. You know, if you had a story where, you know, Perseus needs to kill the Gorgon, he goes to Hephaestus, the, the smith, and he hands him a shield that's been forged under Mount Olympus that can reflect the gaze of the Gorgon. That is a mythological inventor. Now, instead of forging a shield, 
Well, actually, we still do that. I mean, they go, you know, Captain America goes to Black Panther to get a replacement shield when the government seizes his, right? <laughs> Except now it's vibranium and done with science. Mm-hmm. It's still a reflective shield, though. So yeah. presumably the vibranium shield would still work for the Gorgon. Just saying. Mm-hmm. The mastermind is and the detective are the two hardest and rarest because they require writers to write more intricate stories. But they're certainly out there. And I don't see these things going away. Even with the rise of uh, popular science may be evil. Oh, Lord. The hounds are at it again. We've had a hound in here asleep for a while, and now he's starting to growl because he's, he's waking up. It, it's okay, folks. The hounds are pretty friendly at this point. Um, I, I gave them all the food out of Dr. Feckett's uh, fridge and uh, have been slowly making friends with them. I'll keep them happy for now until they decide they want to take over the university. Yeah. Well, you know, fortunately, I also, you know, Grabbed out of his office his expense account, which, um, you know, it turns out there are some local butchers that do deliveries. And, uh, you know, I'm sure eventually there will be questions asked. But as he's a wanted felon already, I'm not worried about it. (laughs) Yeah. So those are the great archetypes. Now, you, you asked about this as a development of a trait. I don't see this going away, even though there's a lot of fiction now that distrusts science and we see lots of uh, use of science as sort of a scapegoat in fiction. Oh no, there's a monster because scientists did stuff with gene splicing and biotech. Oh no, nanotech has done this. Oh no. Um, So there is a kind of distrust of science now because we've seen science do some pretty horrible things uh, with plenty of more opportunities coming in the future. But it is still the capacity for intellect is there for both heroes and villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I would argue that we actually see it more commonly with villains now, combined with hubris thematically. Mm-hmm. That many times villains are essentially people who think they're good and tap into their intellect. In some ways, that hasn't changed. I think a lot of people still prefer heroes to not be that smart. To be loyal, to be sincere, to be good, but not necessarily smart. Meanwhile, the intelligence is often present, combined with hubris and the bad guys who create the problems. Not universally, though. We do see intellect as a heroic trait for actual heroes. So, your thoughts? I don't really have anything to say. I think you covered everything. Can you think of any other examples that don't fit these archetypes? Not really. Well, I'd be curious for my listeners. If you can think of characters that don't fit one of these archetypes, the mastermind, the inventor, the detective, let me know. Maybe we need to expand the list. Mm -hmm. But for that, go to my show notes, check out my social media, drop me a line. For now, I'm going to try to get this hound out of here before he leaves another present that leaves me sticking my head out the window gasping for breath. (laughs) Keep reading comics. Bye. Bye.